From the shores of Wabasha, Minnesota, it's the IGN DigiGods. Now, please welcome two grumpy old men, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh, yeah. How grumpy we are. We are a couple of grumpy old men. I am, I am all of uh, 28 years old and grumpy is what I am. Uh, Corey, who called us grumpy? That one was fished out of an ice hole by Ashley Fakava. I said ice hole. <laughs> oh, Corey. You know, you know, every time I hear the word ice hole, I think of Johnny Dangerously. Don't you? Uh, Fargan War. <laughs> Fargan Ice Hole. Fargan War. <laughs> Which is not on, on Blu-ray. Uh, it kind of amazes me. The movie's funny. So that's just, that but really that might is, be one of those funny movies that if you saw it now, today, you may not think it's funny. Uh, it may be. But it's, it's certainly, uh, from our particular era, because we're grumpy old men, it is, uh, it is, that is one of the classic comedies that just never became a classic comedy. That's it's true. It's a real cult classic. And the thing is that some of these movies, they were really, really funny at the time, but now they're sort of quaint. Like, true. Like when you stack them up against the Judd Apatow R-rated Bridesmaids stuff. That stuff yeah. seems almost childish and quaint. Still funny. Yeah, no, I mean, like the, the in, like the in-laws, for instance, something like the in-laws, or right? like I'm thinking like airplane. Sure, like sure, airplane sure. was. Is this, is this my waba? That is your water. That's my waba. Yes, because you don't uh, you don't drink cold water no. for some reason. I, Probably because your wife told you. And I, this is I officially you, my my daughter calls this waba. That's great. So I'm going to call it waba. Okay, I guarantee you, you do not like cold water because your wife told you some stupid story that you heard on like Dateline or something, or some article she read that like you know cold water versus room temperature water uh, is bad to drink. No, I've just never liked cold water. Really? No. Seems like something your wife would. No, make you I not just, I just, do. it's just, it's too, it's too much of a hassle to always get it chilled and all that. You stuff. know, speaking of a hassle, so I was at Dodger Stadium the other night. Yes, you were over the weekend. You were selfing up the selfieing. Your, yes, you know, yeah. I, I, you know what, I, I, I probably, I, except for the Digigods uh, Facebook page, I don't post anything on mm-hmm. Facebook because I'm never excited. I but know. I went to the Dodger game, and at the end of the Dodger game, yeah, they do this a couple times a year. Sure, they project a movie on the Diamond Vision. I know. And so part of the ticket is you watch the game, and then you stick around because 10 minutes after the game ends, they play a movie All on the right. television. And um, I didn't care about the movie. The movie was a, a league of their own, and I didn't really care. I, I just cared it's enough. It's a great movie. No, it's fine. I, I, I just cared enough to see how they did it, how the sound was, how the, how the, you know, the, the video was. I just wanted to see the setup, and I was going to leave like five minutes after the movie started. Yes. I just want to see how they did it. Anyway, so I go there with a friend of mine, and uh, you know the movie, uh, getting, they're setting up. The game ends, and they start bringing out these little temporary fences, these little, like, you know, five-foot-tall temporary fences, and I don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. turns out that if you sit in the bleachers for the game, you're allowed to sit on the outfield grass for the movie because otherwise you can't see the diamond vision from the bleachers because the diamond, the diamond vision is, a, is right above, directly above the bleachers. Got it. So they, what they do is they allow you to go on to the outfield. And the fences are to make sure that you do not touch the infield. Mm-hmm. It's just make sure you're on the outfield. So, of course, I don't want to sit in my seat for the movie. I don't even want to see the movie. But I don't want to sit in my seat for the movie. I want to be in the outfield. So I asked literally uh, one usher, two cops, and a security guard how you get from your seat to the field. And they all said the same thing, which is that the field is just for people who have a bleacher seat. Because otherwise, I guess they'd be overrun with people who want to sit on the field. Okay. But that didn't stop us. Right. So we wound up sneaking on to the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we snuck out of the which, field. Which, frankly, says an awful lot about security at Dodger Stadium. Well, they know that people are coming in <laughs> to sneak on to the, to the field. Yeah. So before the movie, they introduced uh, some of the uh, fifth bananas from the movie. And then, oh, and then during the game, actually, during the game, before the game started. Was Marla Hooch there? Yes. Really? Uh, who, which, which one was that? Marla Hooch. The, 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 was she the nerdy one who couldn't sing in, the, in that singing scene? No, she's the like the, the big the, the, the big nerdy girl who like yes. is the has the hulking yes, g- she swing and, yep. and when they when they introduce them all in the film it's like and Marla Hooch and she's way out the outfield and she waves because they don't. don't but John Lovitz makes the little don't face. Ruin my story. Okay, so sorry. So before on. the movie starts, yes, they're talking to this old guy. They're in, in, interviewing him on the field. And it was Tom Hanks. And I don't know who that old guy was. Okay, it's Gary Marshall. Oh Gary God. Marshall is 79 years old, and he looks terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gary Marshall 
we have this fixed idea of what Gary Marshall looks like because mm-hmm. he's got the voice and we all love Gary Marshall and he's looked the same way for 40 years. Yeah. It's over. Really? He's turned into just a doddering old man. It was very sad. Oh, that sucks. So then after the movie, they bring in the fences. They, uh, they, have, this, they have this MC who comes out onto the field. He introduces a bunch of the actors, including uh, Marla Hooch. And the last person they Sweet. introduce is Penny, is Penny Marshall. Yes. So Penny Marshall... And not, she's a doddering old man now, too. She's not looking that great either. I know. So Penny Marshall comes out, says a couple words, and then uh, they start the movie. I don't care about the movie. All I care about is that I literally am sitting in right field, laying in a puddle of Yasiel Puig's spit because, <laughs> because he probably was there all game spitting on the ground. Now I'm sitting in it. But it was awesome. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know... There are really only a handful of things that make an adult feel like a kid again. Yeah. I really feel like a kid again. They get excited, and they don't care they're excited. Eating Play-Doh is one Somehow, of them. No, that's not it. Uh, somehow, uh, uh, being on the field mm. at a baseball game will make a man feel like a kid again. Nice. Not like eating an ice cream sundae or that kind of I mean, literally, like, like, like transport their mind back to when they were six and it was all well. new and fresh. And it was great. I just We, we, we stayed for 20 minutes, or about half an hour of the film. Literally just to walk around the outfield and just look at all the different sight lines and all that sort of stuff. And then um, what happened was half the audience left mm-hmm. when uh, Tom Hanks said there's no crying in baseball. When that scene was over, half the audience left. They really? Literally, they literally wanted to be sitting in the outfield when Tom Hanks said there's no crying in baseball. So he says the line. There's, there's applause. And now granted, there's only a couple thousand people in the entire stadium who stayed for the movie. Sure. Everybody else went home. So he says the line, there's no crying in baseball, and then half the crowd leaves. That's really funny. Including us. All right. It was great. It was cool. I love that movie. Oh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, that is is one of the... To me, that may very well be close to the best thing that that uh, Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel ever wrote. Oh, he was there too. Uh, uh, Babalu, he was introduced to Babalu Mandel. Who the hell names our kid Babalu? I mean, I'm thrilled for him, but... That's not his real name. It's not? I wonder what his real name is. Look that up right now. You know what? Look that up right now. I'm, I'm going to wiki Bobbley Mandel. I'm just sorry that they're kind of like not hip anymore because they're uh, amazing writers. They're better than, certainly better than, you know, Orkin Kurtzman. That's for sure. No, but, you know what? Actually, they wrote a film recently. Uh, his name is Mark Mandel. Um, they wrote Mark? A, yes. Well, that's not exciting. They wrote Parental Guidance, which was the Billy Crystal um, I know. I know. horrible piece of crap. I know. But that was but not. But that was their, that, here's the thing. That was their first credit since 2005. Exactly. In 2005, they wrote two films. Then they didn't get another film off the ground until uh, 2012, and that was Parental Guidance. So basically, they're done. So, all right, uh, right off the top. You have Hope. no comment on my... So usually, no. you tell a story at the top of the show that means nothing and no one cares about, I and I yawn. Yeah. You see, or at least I pretend well, that I know, care about the story. The least you could do is pretend, about, pretend you care about the story. That was so exciting. I'm Thank so happy for you that you got to sit in Yazil Puig's spit. Thank you. You're, that, you're welcome. It's, it's better than if I were to sit in his rhymes with spit. Okay, so there are a lot of guys with like hair and tattoos and muscles who uh, pretend to fight, and uh, it's called uh, WWE, and a lot of people really like okay, it. Okay, by the way, can I, can I just tell you, okay, you're all yeah. laughing at us about Bob Lou Mandel. Let me tell you what Bob Lou Mandel wrote. Yes. He didn't write all these with old Gans, who was his longtime writing right. partner, but here's, here's a little bit of what he wrote. Okay. Uh, Bustin' Lou is interesting. Uh, Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days. Night Shift, Splash, Spies mm. Like Us, Parenthood, City Slickers, uh, Forget Paris, Multiplicity, Mr. Saturday Night, which you like. It's okay. I'll tell you. Forget Paris has... Okay, you know as well as anybody else who, who knows my wife. She doesn't laugh a lot at movies. She's not... You know, it, like, it takes a lot to make her laugh. And if she laughs, it's usually like, that oh, was funny. You know, she she doesn't uh, like. She, I'm the same way. She doesn't like lowbrow humor, like fart jokes and and whatever. Most of that stuff, that Apatow stuff, really doesn't make her laugh. She'll maybe chuckle a little bit. You really need sophisticated humor. I will tell you, Forget Paris has a scene in it that I thought would put her over the top. It, she almost she almost suffocated. She was laughing so hard. She laughed harder at this scene than Tim Cogshell laughed at the uh, at the tennis scene in the in the um, in the Muse. The Albert Brooks film, The Muse. There was nothing to laugh at in Albert Brooks' The Muse. The, the tennis scene? You yeah. remember the tennis scene, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, where, where, where it's like, tink, where, where he, he, Albert Brooks can't get to it because Jeff Bridges just cannot even get a ball in the court. Okay, which is funnier. Anyway, which is the, funny. The, scene in, the scene in Forget Paris she laughed at is the scene where 
it, the the bird is caught on the, the the flypaper in the car, and and Deborah Winger is is like wigging out, and the bird is like fluttering next to her head. It's just an insane. It's genius slapstick. It is a genius moment in the history of slapstick cinema. Okay. And my wife almost suffocated. She which, was laughing so hard. Which scene is funnier, the tennis scene in that movie, yeah. or the basketball scene in Along Came Pop? Oh my gosh, the basketball scene. Philip Seymour Hoffman, genius, raining. Oh my gosh, that's the best ever. It really is. Okay, so real quickly, a lot of uh, WWE stuff that people are really going to love, and some of you know, I used to sort of nominally keep track of these guys. I, I don't know who any of these people are anymore. I really don't. I, I see you know Hulk Hogan here, all dolled up like some kind of a weird drag queen. I guess that's meaningful in some way. Okay, we got WrestleMania 30th anniversary three disc set, which includes this mini book. And it's just, you know what, it's WrestleMania. What do you want? It's three discs. I, I, I couldn't possibly watch much of it. And then there's uh, Greatest Wrestling Factions, which is also a three-disc set. Um, it's, a, it's unbelievable. The, the Best of Raw after the show, another three-disc set. Well, this stuff's basically the same, by the way. Um, Batista, The Animal Unleashed. This is one of these new dudes. This is, this is like, see, this is the new thing in WWE. It's like lots of tats. I doubt that's Look, Well, I guess, but it's like, you know, I don't know. It's, how do you even become one of these guys? I don't even there know who so, this guy you know what, Batista, so girls, he's like, he's some new dude. There were so many girls at the Dodger game the other night with, with tattoos. That's such a turnoff. Yeah, it is kind of. Uh, Elimination Chamber 2014 and uh, Extreme Rules 2014 for, for those who just want, you know, a single disc stuff of the same thing. Anyway, it's a bunch of sweaty guys with tattoos and hair just uh, pounding each other. And I, I've been told many, many times by people in the know about these kinds of things that um, the world of WWE, the world of wrestling, is every bit as dramatic and interconnected in all these characters as, say, the Marvel Universe. Have you heard this? Have people told you this? I, I did not. I knew that a little bit. There are some wrestling fans who will go, you don't understand. Back in 1982, when Hulk Hogan and Fuzz and they will chart some long, elaborate, fantastic, completely ridiculous, imaginary chain of connections and relationships and offenses and revenges that all take place right there in the ring. And, it's, and they keep track of this. It's like knowing that, you know, well, the original Ant-Man was not the third-generation Ant-Man because after the intervention of the Blorkenflarg, the, the universe Keep going ruptured. I'm, I'm not bailing you out. That's all right. Anyway. Uh, so, if you're into it, it's a huge, huge week for, uh, for wrestling stuff. You know what's coming out on, uh, on Blu-ray in a couple what's of months? What's coming out on Blu-ray in a couple of months? The Party. Are you kidding me? Kino. August 26th. Kino. The Party on Blu-ray. Seriously? You didn't know that? Hang on, I may have known it, but dude, I, I wow, I, I I just uh, broke Wade's brain. Uh, August twenty sixth. That's correct. Really? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm entering it. <laughs> yeah. Wade, Wade has this enormous database, and I'm talking an enormous database that literally he updates probably minutely. The well, my look, my current calendar of titles forthcoming right now includes one thousand four hundred ninety five titles. <laughs> So and they I mean, and, and how, of those one thousand four hundred ninety five, how many will get sent to your doorstep? Uh, we'll probably get about half of them. Oh, only half? We'll get about half. I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here that the studios do not promote, and I'm having a conversation. I put conversation in quotes. I'm having a conversation with some of the studios now about some of the stuff they choose not to promote because I'm not going to name any names, but there are some studios. Uh, well, one in particular right now that has apparently absolutely no reverence whatsoever for its library. Paramount. And it's not Paramount, actually. It's not. Because they have no reverence for the they, library. They, they, there's another studio that has even less reverence for the library. They just get like, ah, crap, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? And they never promote it. They don't, they don't send out a press release. They do nothing. It's they don't like, make it available. They don't make it available to a publicist. Nothing. It's, like it's, it's completely off the grid. I have to, is, I have to is go search. Is it one of the majors? It is one of the majors. So it's not Paramount. It's not Paramount. It's not Disney. Certainly not Disney or Warner Brothers. Right. Fox? It's, 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 it's almost certainly not Fox. Um, Universal? So anyway, moving on. Universal, all, look, and by the way, I work for Universal because NBC Universal. I know you do. So I can tell you that Universal cares about uh, salvaging the next uh, uh, Fast and Furious. That's what they care about. That's wonderful. By the way, there I are, don't. But here's the thing. <laughs> exactly. And that, and by the way, that was part of the email. 
It was right. like, we really love the idea of Fast and Furious, but, you know, it would be nice. Okay. No, no, okay, no one cares. Okay. Captain America Winter Soldier, which, by the way, I liked a lot. Yes. September 9th mm-hmm. on Blu-ray. That's good. Um, Amazon is taking pre-orders for X-Men uh, Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. which I liked a lot. It is, it's good, right? It is good. I mean, for a remake of The Terminator, it's pretty darn good. <laughs> It is, which is exactly what it is. I said that in my review. Thank you. Alt Film Guide. And I said it on the radio for KPCC. What? So. You're stealing my something or other? Yes, I am. All right, so uh, what else we got? Uh, here's what we got. All right, Mark, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk yes, about... Ma'am. We have three major new movie releases this week. What? First one I'm going to talk about, I'm going to rant about, I'm going to rave about, because uh, I think it's a pretty great movie, is uh, Lone Survivor. Which uh, I, I must confess I am, I am biased because one of the executive producers is a very close friend. And uh, makes me very, very happy. That well, then, it, why then why don't I talk about it? Because I am impartial. Well, I will let you discuss this in your impartiality. But first, I'm <laughs> going to talk about why I uh, can rave and rant about it. Because I am impartial. Uh, Peter Berg laid a turd with uh, Battleship. And as anybody knows, when you lay a turd of a movie, for, with a major studio movie, the first thing you usually do is you turn around and you're like, give me, something, give me something secure, something certain, something that won't tank so I can sort of salvage my reputation. Give me a Superman movie. Give me a Batman movie. Give me a, a Judd Apatow comedy. Just give me something that I, that's like guaranteed not to flop. And that's not what he did. Uh, to his credit, Peter Berg is like, you know what? I'm not going to do another one of these ten poles. I'm going to do a passion project. I'm going to do the auteur thing. He went and he freaking optioned this book, which is you know, the story of the, uh, the, that, that group of uh, Navy SEALs and their operation in Afghanistan, and only one guy survived, as you would know from the title, so it's not giving anything away. Um, and uh, he went and optioned the book, and he put that whole thing together himself. They shot it in New Mexico, substituting for, Af- for uh, Afghanistan. And Mark Wahlberg nails it. The guys all nail it. And i got to say, for, for this kind of a movie, I think it's way better than Black Hawk Down. Wait, well, I don't know about that. But Far wait. superior. I, I, I'll, I do like film a lot. But hang on. I had heard yes. that... Um, I had heard... Yes. And you can correct me if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. <laughs> Brain short-circuiting. That doesn't compute. Okay, okay go Star on. Trek. Okay. okay, Captain Kirk making this <laughs> computer short-circuit. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, that... Uh, what's his name? Peter Berg would yes. only direct Battleship if they allowed him to then do Lone Survivor. That may be. That may be. Like he said, I'll, I'll do your piece of crap ten, Paul, but I, that, I want this. That may be. That may be. Either way, uh, still, gutsy thing to do is to you know, put it all on the line for this film. So regardless of which story uh, is, is, uh, is the factual one, he, he nailed it. Uh, I, thought, I think it's the best thing he's ever directed. Uh, I think it's certainly the most mature film he's ever directed. What's nice is that these movies usually devolve into um, like all the stuff in between the Marines and Alien, all that stuff with like you know Bill Paxton going, "We're all going to get killed." It usually becomes some variation of a lot of you know tough guy talk and uh, you know a lot of cursing and swearing and, and you know fist bumping and and forearm bumping. And it, and and even though there is a bit of that, it's not. Overkill. It doesn't feel like they're they've just drenched it in macho sauce. It really does feel authentic. Well, the opening uh, the opening credits, which is a montage of how yes. they train, yes, is intense. Right, it's intense. that is intense. Well, that's the macho sauce. But they have to establish yeah. the fact that these guys will survive a lot more than the average true. person, and they have to do Very that through true. this montage at the opening credits. And uh, Ben Foster is phenomenal in this thing. I mean, Ben Foster, who of course is, is playing Lance Armstrong in the uh, forthcoming Stephen Frears uh, biopic. Uh, will start his star is going to rise very soon and very quickly and deservedly so but he is phenomenal in this and Taylor Kitsch didn't defend me like he did in his last three films so maybe he I has feel bad uh, for that guy maybe he has you know Peter Berg threw him a bone uh, yeah and so I mean it's I, I gotta tell you even, even Emil Hirsch who I normally do not like is good in it so uh, it's, a, it's a solid film and that stuff man the sound design in this thing you know the sound and the sound design both got Oscar nominations the sound design when they are all like falling down the hillside, and you just hear bones crunching and twigs snapping, that is just unbelievable stuff. Okay, wait. You realize that the show's only an hour. I know. And you spent five minutes talking okay, about it. Lone... It's Lone Survivor. It's great. Uh, it's a Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo. It includes a bunch of um, a bunch of Blu-ray exclusive stuff that it basically featurettes, and uh, that's it. But it is great. It is worth watching. I would even say it's worth owning because I, I think you'd enjoy watching this over and over. So uh, What you will not enjoy watching over and over is uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. This oh. is the uh, attempt to reboot the Jack Ryan franchise. Yeah. Uh, 
the character initially played by uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Ben Affleck. You know, I, Chris Pine makes a great Captain Kirk. I do not think he makes a good Jack Ryan. He's a little bit too much of a puppy dog. He's a little puffy lips, and mm-hmm. he's just a little too soft for me. But, uh, you know, I think the movie is uh, it's basically fine, but it, it just seems like if you took the way... If you took off the name Jack Ryan and put any other spy person name in it, yep. it'd be the same movie. Like the fact that it, it, it wasn't special, didn't it wasn't based on uh, you know it wasn't based on a book, uh, it wasn't based on anything particularly interesting. It was just let's just reboot this because uh, it's 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 another tentpole franchise we yep. can create with Chris Pine, Precisely. as if he doesn't already have Star Trek. I know. Uh, so this thing was kind of a uh, you know which just was not very ambitious and it was a little bit silly and I just feel Jack Ryan is just. You know, during the Cold War, Jack Ryan kind of had a purpose. You know, fight the Russians, yeah. and there he is, and the hunt for Red October, and blah, blah. Now, even, even though the Russians are sort of our enemies again, in a sense, it just feels old now. I find it really... Look, Chris Pine, perfectly decent, kind of square-jawed, nice dude. But the idea that somehow Chris Pine is the secret to uh, rejuvenating every character... I mean, like, he, he's the new Captain Kirk. He's the new He's great guy. Captain Kirk is terrific. He is not No, no, he's not. Yes, he, he, is. he is not the new William Shatner and he is not the new Harrison Ford. That's okay. He's just Chris Pine. He does not have he, he's not that he's not that good. He's not that interesting. He just isn't. He's not. All right. Um he finally be, he, should the, I, he should be the first Chris Pine, not anything else. He should be the first Chris Pine, not, not the third Harrison Ford. That's it. <laughs> um quote wait on that. Um, I, I I didn't love but was but I was a bit of an apologist for the new RoboCop. I'm not saying this is a great movie, but I'll say this is that Man. everybody here's the thing. Everybody thinks that the childhood favorites are like untouchable. Like they cannot be improved ever. They that can. is not true. Yes it is. No, it's not true. Yes it is. Yes, anything can be improved. No. Yes. No. RoboCop was not it was a wonderful film and I loved one of my favorites as a kid. But I'm saying that that if you're gonna if you're going to if you're gonna do it again, yes, take it in a whole different direction, do something new. Totally new. Something totally new, like something different, like something else. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is like, that don't touch it. What, I, what I'm saying is, is that people knocked the film oh for not being gosh. like the original, but the yeah. movie has a responsibility to not be like the original. Otherwise, mm-hmm. just just now, let's not make this film. Yeah, but, so but, he makes it a little bit different, yeah. and a little bit boring, and yeah. a little bit uninteresting. A little well, bit the CGI. guy Joe Kinnaman, who plays RoboCop, I, he's not very good. It's, he doesn't really he 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 does not uh, get your empathy going at all. Um, what I did like about the movie There's no you, humor in the this only film. Th- There's zero humor the, the, the whole point of the original RoboCop It's like you, But this, you, is not the, the, this is not the original This, this, this should be its own thing it should Well then be don't the make RoboCop. it RoboCop That's like it's, but, it's a Superman movie except, except he doesn't fly He's not from Krypton And he doesn't wear a suit and he's not super strong. No, but it's but, a different direction. No, no, it's no, no, no. It's like, well, what, what's no, but the that's, point? No, but he's still, he's still RoboCop. He still dies in an explosion. The cops still rebuild him as a robot. Point was and this satire. Movie, it was satire. That's that film. It's this like, is we're going to do, do a remake of um, Singing in the Rain, but without music. There's a what's little, the point? There's a little bit of satire in this film because Samuel Jackson plays this uh, Fox News uh, yeah, you know, yeah, bloviator. Yeah. And that's fine. And this film actually does a better job with the family, with the wife and the kid, than the Verhoeven film did. And again, I'm not going to apologize. I'm, I'll only apologize for it so far because it's not a great movie. Yeah, well, but I think it's better than people gave it credit for because people wanted it to be just like the yeah, original. Well, you know, whatever. Anyway, it's a it's a great looking transfer, and uh, it's got uh, you know it's got some it's not, it doesn't have a lot of uh, interesting extras, some deleted scenes. Um, otherwise, the RoboCop it's a good rental. I, I you can rent it. I think you'll be surprised if you rent it. I have got and 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 when I say you'll be surprised, I mean you won't think it sucks as much yeah. as you think. It does. I got a couple of shocking releases here. One is Ravenous from uh, Shout Factory's Scream Factory label. And Ravenous is a movie that got so quickly dismissed at the time, it was just ignored and shoveled away. And director Antonia Bird, who recently passed away, uh, shockingly, uh, never really got another great feature opportunity. Antonia Bird, an amazingly talented director who only made a handful of films, also including the Miramax release of the film Priest, which was a completely different kind of a, uh, a film. And uh, it could have been one of the great Hollywood directors, one of the great auteurs of all time, but of course being kind of a fringy sensibility, you know, a little bit like a female David Lynch in some respects, and having kind of a very dark sensibility, a not very female sensibility, which, you know, is only now apparently, you know, you have a handful of female directors who are allowed to make non-female 
type movies. And women in general have a really hard time uh, getting directing careers off the track. So uh, Antonia Bird never really, really got her shot. And it's so tragic. But if you want to see what a brilliant director she was, Ravenous is the film to watch. Did you ever see Ravenous? Was he, did I? Uh, I did not. You never saw Ravenous. Ravenous is basically a Western. It takes place in the year 1847. Uh, it, this is sort of like the evil twin to uh, Dances with Wolves in many respects. Uh, anyway, Guy Pierce plays cavalry officer, and he's got to go to this remote fort in California, a little bit like Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves. Uh, but anyway, there's a there's a there's a whole thing that's been going on there. It's like you know, then it becomes kind of a horror film, a genre thing, and it is. I'll, I'll tell you, Robert Carlyle is insane in this movie. He is so intense. He is so insane. There's unbelievably cool editing in this movie. Uh, the whole thing, it's just, it's just got this creepy vibe. Jeffrey Jones, David Arquette are in it as well. It's just great. It's just really great. And it's finally out on Blu-ray. Thank you to uh, Shout Factory and Scream Factory for doing it. It's a really good transfer. And uh, uh, also really interesting is the score, which was co-composed by Michael Nyman, of course, of you know the piano fame. Uh, really, really intense. Just super intense. So ravenous, finally out there. Long overdue. And then also is Alexander, the ultimate cut. I don't know how more ultimate mm. this is than is any of the... Is there another Alexander? Well, this includes the original theatrical cut and the unrated ultimate cut. Um, and the super unrated... <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I, I am, I am, I've always been the first person to be a giant Oliver Stone detractor. I, I just think Oliver Stone's films... For a huge, all the stuff that everybody raved about, I thought was just a whole lot of bombastic crap. But uh, I am forgiving of Alexander, even though it's a terrible movie, and it is a terrible movie. And uh, Jared Leto is embarrassing in it, and uh, Colin Farrell with his wig is just beyond embarrassing. About the only, you know, Angelina Jolie is not very good. The only thing that's interesting in the film is Rosario Dawson, and it's not even Rosario Dawson who's interesting; it's her assets. So that said, everyone in this movie is pretty much just embarrassing themselves endlessly. However, however, I think Alexander is an interesting film in this sense. This is the closest that Oliver Stone has ever and probably ever will create, the closest thing to a, an autobiography on film. So, he, so he's like a... Uh... I, like Alexander, a, like a dictatorial leader who it's 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 really interesting because I pointed this out before. If you look at Scarface, which he wrote, okay, and you compare that to Wall Street, it's a, it's the same movie. It's like all those Joe Esterhaus movies about somebody who falls in love with somebody who turns out to be somebody other than who they thought they were, and then there like, this is a crisis of conscience that the person they thought they loved is, turns out to be a murderer, right? And like Esterhaus wrote that story like eight times. You know, it was like Jade and Basic Instinct and. And uh, Betrayed and, uh, you know, Music Box. It's the same story, every single one of those movies. There's like three more where he did it. But if you look at Wall Street and uh, Scarface, look at the Charlie Sheen character versus the Al Pacino character. Compare the, uh, you know, the Daryl Hannah character in Wall Street to the uh, Michelle Pfeiffer character in, uh, in Scarface. Compare Michael Douglas in Wall Street to the Robert Loja character in Scarface. I mean, they're perfect analogies and all those character tensions and all the choices and all the relationships. They're, they're like carbon copies of each other. They absolutely are. A lot of that is in Alexander as well, except in Alexander, a lot of that stuff it, you start to realize all the things that he faces. It's like, this is, this is Oliver Stone's life. And if you know anything about Oliver Stone's little, the milestones in his life and the setbacks and the forward and the divorce and all this stuff, it very much is, this is, the, this is his, he, he relates to this. He's taken Alexander, the story of Alexander the Great, and he's imposed all of his own obsessions on it. And, I, and, I, and in that sense, I think it's an interesting film. It's not a good film, but it's an interesting film. And being a Vangelis nut, I think the score is fantastic. Well, it is a way to look at the film that yes. will uh, uh, entertain thing, more than taking it on face value. This thing is loaded to the gills with uh, extras. It, this thing comes with a commentary by Oliver Stone, which is, is fairly rambling and, and monotonous and not all that interesting. Uh, I, if, you can, if you can stick with this commentary longer than 30 or 40 minutes, I will, I'll, I'll raise a statue to you. Um, more interesting is the documentary in here, uh, The Real Alexander and the World He Made, which is really interesting. It gives you, you realize how little history is actually in this movie. Uh, there's also another documentary, Fight Against Time, Oliver Stone's Alexander, which is uh, kind of lame. Uh, it was done by his son, Sean Stone, who is now a Muslim and a supporter of uh, Iran, 
you following this? No. Sean Stone? A little bit off the deep end. And uh, then on the theatrical cut, there's a bunch of other stuff. There's a, uh, another Oliver Stone commentary, which is just as monotonous, and uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff that uh, is, is basically all from the same shoot that his son did. So um, the, only, the only other feature right here that I really, really liked is the, uh, the bit on the Vangelis score, which is not intense enough. But, I mean, there's, you know, there's also a booklet, and, uh, which, you know, this 40-page uh, concept book, and a bunch of drawings and photos, and, you know, so it's, it doesn't come in one of those giant boxes, but it is, uh, it is loaded with stuff. So it's, uh, you know, if you have, if you do like the film, or if you're at least interested in it sufficiently, it's, uh, it's probably a worthwhile set to get. Uh, speaking of worthwhile, we have two little surprises this week, uh, Wade. Uh, films that I didn't expect to be good, but are good. Yeah. The Motel Life, which mm. uh, stars Emil Hirsch, Stephen Dorff, and uh, Dakota Fanning. It's uh, from these brothers, the Polsky brothers, Alan and uh, Gabriel. It's about uh, these two brothers. And uh, when one of them is involved in an accident, they have to uh, cross state lines, and they wind up reconnecting with, with one of their old flames, played by... Um, uh, Dakota Fanning but what I like about the film is that it's a very interesting uh, examination of brotherhood it's very sensitive the acting is very good a lot of emotions a lot of con- it's, it's, it's shot in sort of a very stark wintry way Wade is dancing right in front of me uh, I don't know what that's I don't know what that's about what are you doing? I'm just dancing. Um, Got music in my in my soul. Got stop. music in my head. Stop that. What am I going to do? Anyway, um, it's a good film. It's very... It, it, sometimes it stretches to that profundity that I don't yes. think these guys can really necessarily pull off. They're not that... Uh, they're, they're really not old enough to be all that uh, bitter and melancholy about life. But, uh, but it's good. The Motel Life is an interesting uh, surprise. So there's that. And then we have another bit of a surprise. A uh, movie called Small Time. And uh, Small Time uh, co-stars uh, Christopher Maloney and uh, Devin Bostic and Bridget Moynihan. And uh, that's good stuff, too. I like that movie, too. Um, it's, it's, kind of a, it's, it's a coming-of-age drama about these two guys who own a uh, used car lot. And uh, it's good. It's good. I, I, I can't say you, you, you're going to cry or there's much emotional depth or weight to it. But then again, you know what? I was, I was surprised at the tone and the humor, and I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, much less cool is a film called Parts Per Billion, which is this, uh, it uses this apocalyptic event to examine the lives of three couples. And uh, I think this is just a real misfire shot at profundity and tone and mood and apocalyptic, uh, you know, it's, you know, you know what it is? It reminds me of like, a, like an apocalyptic crash. Uh, Which, by yes. the way, I hate it. And you love Crash. I love Crash. I just think that movie is so Crash. up its own ass. Oh, it's the best. Anyway, so this is about three couples. Uh, you got Penn Badgley, Teresa Palmer, Josh Hartnett, Rosario Dawson, um, Alex Bledel, Franklin Jella's in it, too. Gina Rollins in it. Nice. Anyway, anyway, there's this, uh, there's this uh, apocalyptic event, and slowly people are dying because toxins are, are being blown across the earth, and everyone's going to die. So it's all about how these three couples, young and old, react to the situation and so it really uses that whole apocalyptic thing to get into relationships and saying goodbye and regrets and all that sort of nice. but I just think this movie is just again it's, it was written by people who just I, I don't think that they're mature enough to really delve into this stuff without going to a bunch of phony profundity so it was not my favorite but if you're into it it's called Parts Per Billion it has a good cast I'm going to blow through a bunch of Warner Archive stuff and VCI Vault stuff right now. These are all uh, classic films from uh, a couple of lines that are, that are just very aggressive and getting out a lot of old movies that you probably haven't heard of. Uh, volume 8 of the uh, Monogram Cowboy Collection is out from the Warner Archives. Now, mind you, this is 12 more movies. This is Volume 8, 12 movies. Every single one of these has roughly 12 movies on them, so that's like, you know, we're, we're into about 100 movies by now. If you never had any idea that such a thing as these monogram westerns existed, they are all just what they used to call programmers. There's nothing great about this. But some people really feel that there's a kind of an old nostalgic thing here, cattle ranchers and rustlers and cowboys and this and that, everything. Anyway, these old monogram films, um, very workmanlike. Johnny Mac Brown, Rough Riders, uh, starring all these. And that's, you know, if, if this is your vibe, uh, by all means watch it. But man, it gets tedious at a certain point. Also from the Warner Archive collection is a, a little-known film that got really maligned at the time. I think it is, it's totally cool. This is from 1965, one of my favorite years for movies. 
And of course, the, the year most famous for uh, the two of the biggest films of all time, The Sound of Music and Dr. Zhivago. And this is a movie called Lady L, which was directed by Peter Ustinov, written by Peter Ustinov. Uh, Ustinov even briefly appears in it. And it, I, I think this is a really cool, groovy 60s-era comedy. Um, takes place around the tw- turn of the century, uh, primarily in London and Paris. And uh, it, it, is, it is just really cool and really fun. Sophia Loren, uh, David Niven, Paul Newman. Paul Newman's a, a, a good, solid bit miscast in this thing, but David Niven and Sophia Loren are just wonderful. And it's just one of those really kind of offbeat 60s comedies, and uh, it, it's just really cool. It's just really cool. It's fun and colorful, uh, beautiful color, beautiful widescreen. Highly recommended. I think if you, uh, if you like this, and it's based on a novel, which I've never read, uh, by, by an author named Romaine Gary. But I thought this was an awful lot of fun. And by the way, uh, by no coincidence, produced by Carlo Ponti at the time, Sophia Loren's husband, who also the same year produced uh, uh, Dr. Zhivago. And then we've also got uh, the biggest bundle of them all, which is a, uh, a heist film and uh, really worth seeing primarily because of Raquel Welch. And they know that because the artwork, Mark. Yeah, Raquel Welch. It's just Raquel bikini. Welch in a bikini. You don't need to know anything else about it. All the other actors here in this little, in this little cartoon tank down here, right. that's a way of saying, yeah, there's some, uh, there's some guys in it and they have guns and there's, some, and there's some action and other interesting stuff. But primarily, you want to see it because Raquel Welch is in a bikini. That's the only reason that they want you to see this. And man is... You know, you look at Raquel Welch, this movie, and I just realized we have no equal to her today. Cameron Diaz? No, not even close. Can't touch her. Well, you know There's what it is? No, because, nobody can touch no, her. You know why? Because nowadays, sex is so forward in our society that you can't yeah. just be, like, smoldering. That's ah, too bad. Because smoldering is too, like, subtle. It's yeah. got to be totally in your face. Yeah, this is it's just, just great. Anyway, uh, directed by Ken Anakin. Scarlett Johansson can be a little like that. She can be smoldering. Ken Anakin directed this. It is. It is now, mind you. Wait, Anakin Skywalker? No, Ken Anakin. Uh, now, mind Anakin you, Skywalker. The whole the whole idea here is about is is, is like it's a kidnapping thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's kind of slapsticky, sort of silly. It's a little bit like a lot of the other Ken Anakin movies from the period, although not as good. Ken Anakin, of course, uh, did you know uh, the, the uh, amazing young men and their flying machines, whatever the hell that was called. Those films, right? Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Right? I do. I yeah, do. The, 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 yeah, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, bored, anyway. but I do. Yeah. And of course, Swiss Family Robinson, which is which is one of his best films ever. But uh, you know, the, those, the amazing young men. And the, how, what's the name of that stupid title? The, oh, the the, the amazing and the flying machines. The, and then uh, there was the. I always get it confused with its sequel, which is the Jaunty Jalopies. Uh, it's the, uh, the those wacky those wacky dudes in the Jaunty Jalopies or whatever it was. Anyway, Ken Anakin, really, I mean, a very workmanlike director, did some good stuff. Across the Bridge, probably his best film of the era. But um, anyway, uh, Edward G. Robinson's in this. Um, Vittorio De Sica is, you know, shows up in a lot of movies from this era, and you kind of go, really? If you know who De Sica is, you're like, that's interesting. Robert Wagner, very enjoyable. Godfrey Cambridge, always just priceless in this particular era. So, um, yeah, I, even though this film is considered an eccentric bomb, I like it. Sophia Loren also shows up with Omar Sharif, both of them uh, having a history, obviously, with Carlo Ponti. Uh, in the Carlo Ponti produced, uh, it's more than a miracle. Uh, this is directed by Francesco Rossi, who is one of the great Italian directors of the period. I gotta say, not such a great movie. Um, it's kind of, it, it sort of wants to be a, a widescreen, full color fairy tale uh, of sorts uh, as a vehicle for uh, Sophia Loren, because Ponti was always doing all kinds of stuff for his wife. Doesn't quite pan out, but it does have a nice, uh, it has a nice sheen from the period. So, again, a nice kind of 60, late 60s uh, burnish to it. it uh, so that much I can, I can certainly enjoy. And then going back a good bit further is Test Pilot, the uh, Clark Gable, Myrna Loy, Spencer Tracy uh, movie from, um, whatever this was, 1930. When was Test Pilot, Mark? It was what now? Test Pilot. You should know this right off the top of your head, no? What, the, the Test Pilot? The movie? Yeah. I mean, in the 30s, I guess? It's, it's, some, it's somewhere in the 30s. Uh, I should have made a note of it. It's like late, mid to late 30s. It's pre, pre-World War II, for sure. Anyway, uh, Test Pilot, directed by Victor Fleming. Uh, and, uh, you know, Lyle Barrymore shows up in this as well. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a... It's Victor a, Fleming, director Wizard of Oz. It's nice and solid and workmanlike and, uh, you know, has a, has a good, good, solid period feel to it. I mean, Victor Fleming made a lot of crap, but... Uh, he also made two of the greatest films of all time, or at least got credit for them. So, Where, see that—that's that's the funniest <laughs> story. How you get like two of the greatest films of all time, and there are two directors who are both 
who both have credits yes. on the two films, Gone with the Wind yes. and Wizard of Oz, how one replaced the other. That's true. They did a little switcheroo deal. In two films. Yeah, you're not my King Vidor, I'm assuming. Victor Fleming, the King Vidor. Well, uh, well, you... George Kukor was... was wasn't... Well, that's true. That's true. King Vidor, you know, King, well, King Vidor was on Gone with the Wind before Victor Fleming. King Vidor didn't have anything to do with... Uh, not, no, he was on Wizard of Oz before Victor Fleming. He didn't have anything to do with Gone with the Wind. King well, Vidor. Wait, but I don't did, think. But George Kukor, did, did, but didn't he start it and then... Can't remember. Uh-huh. Both of those stories just so confuse me. But it is weird how there like, are like seven directors on the Wizard of Oz. You know that. <laughs> it's, I mean, it was it was just a it, it, it just was was endless. Uh, and then VCI has a bunch of titles from its vault. I'll go through this real quickly. Um, the uh, the story of uh, Eddie Rickenbacker in Ace Drummond, uh, which is basically a um, a thirteen chapter serial. And then we have um, Blake of Scotland Yard. Which, as I understand, it was also a serial. This features a guy named Ralph Bird, who I'd never heard of before. Uh, it's basically, you know, serial mystery stuff. This is all very, very, you know, late 30s kind of uh, raw British workman-like stuff. Uh, a young John Gilgood looking very, very fey in The Prime Minister, uh, which, speaking of fey, also co-stars Faye Compton, who uh, I'd completely forgotten existed. Uh, this is the story of Benjamin Disraeli, the, uh, the famous uh, British prime minister, who, of course, is the first Jewish prime minister in the history of England, although he was a Christian convert, whatever the case is. Uh, not a bad biopic of the time. Uh, watching a young John Gilgood is always interesting because I think everybody kind of figures John Gilgood was, you know, always 80 years old. Not true. Okay, so, so George Kuh, his, I'm looking this up now. Yes. So George Kukor was on it initially. I mean, there was a, mm-hmm. as you say, there's like seven directors. Yeah. Kukor made some. Uh, We're talking about Wizard of Oz. Yes. Yes. He made some very key changes, which is that initially Judy Garland wore a blonde wig mm-hmm. and all sorts of baby doll makeup, and uh, he went and changed all that. He made Judy Garland look much more like a young girl, so that was good. He also was the one who said they should have uh, cast Jack Haley. Okay. Uh, as the wood, as the uh, Tin Man. Yeah. Right. That's good. Right. Sure. And then he jumped off and was replaced permanently by. Um, uh, you know, Victor Fleming, Fleming yeah. because Kukor had to go work on Gone with the Wind. Ah. So Kukor had to go work on Gone with the Wind. So he, so his involvement with Oz is more like a creative consultant Man. or something like that. Unbelievable. And the same, and something similar happened with Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Didn't Victor Fleming start Gone with the Wind? They get fired in favor of John Kukor. I'm, 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 I'm looking that up. Look it up. I'll finish these two. And a few others. Uh, anyway, you got uh, Tundra, which is a uh, essentially kind of a um, uh, like a Jack, what's the, what's the... What's Jack the, of all trades. No, no, uh, the... the what's Jack, we know Jack be quick. No, Jack who wrote uh, Call of the Wild, what's his name? Jack London. Jack London. It's a Jack london type deal. Uh, you know, it's black and white, so it doesn't really capture every, you know. You need color movies to really get a sense of, you know, sort of the Alaskan, the oppressive environment of the, of the Alaskan tundra. But a movie called Tundra still kind of, sort of works. Um, this was made in 1936. Very action, very good for an action adventure movie from 1936. Uh, you know, technically more proficient than I would normally expect. Not bad. Uh, kind of a mid-level movie directed by a guy named Norman Dawn. Another guy I'm only vaguely, vaguely familiar with. So I mean, it's it's entertaining enough. Probably probably more of a rental than anything else. And then the last one from the VCI Vault Classics is another uh, 13 episode serial. The Adventures of Smilin' Jack and Smilin'. That's Smilin' with an apostrophe, no no G. I want you to know that. Uh, nobody in this movie actually went on to have much of a career except for Sidney Toller and Key Luke. Uh, and Key Luke, of course, uh, most famous for being on, uh, on uh, Kung Fu because he was, you know, grasshopper, right? Yes, he was. We all know that. So anyway, uh, it's okay. It's not, you know, not a great serial, but it, it, it's, it, for, for a kind of a standard 30s era okay. action adventure deal, it works. So Kukor was fired yes. from Gone with the Wind by fired. Selznick. And Snell, uh, Selznick replaced Kukor with Victor Fleming. And Got on it. Gone with the Wind, it was kind of the other way around, even though I guess they're now saying that uh, George Kukor was more of a creative consultant. I see. Well, there we have it. Wow. Okay, anyway. Oof. Okay, moving on. Okay, uh, uh, I'm a fan of uh, Mumblecore. Wade hates it, which means I'm a fan of uh, Joe Swanberg. And uh, Joe Swanberg has been getting into some interesting uh, areas. He's got another movie coming up soon, too. Some Christmas thing coming out in the summer. Makes no sense to me. You know what? He's been getting into some areas that I don't think are really necessarily his uh, forte, which Mm. is kind of like horror. I know he did VHS. He was involved in that. Here we've got 24 Exposures, which is about a, um, a fetish photographer who gets involved in a murder. 
investigation. And I just think that this is just not really his forte. I just think that, uh, you know, uh, Drinking Buddies, which he came out with, I think, around the same time, is much better. And it's more, way more his wheelhouse. You know, cute, character-driven, you know, whimsical, comedy-type things about relationships. I like that stuff. This thing is just thin, and uh, it's just not really his forte, this sort of stuff. I think he's got to stop that. So that's 24 uh, Exposures. Much better is a very interesting film that I highly recommend called Run and Jump. And Run and Jump is about a... Um, is about this uh, this housewife paid by uh, Maxine Peake, and her husband suffers a stroke, and so they bring in a doctor to uh, help with the um, rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's directed by this guy Steph Green. I don't know who that is, but uh, it's terrific. It's very insightful and very touching and sensitive, and it's an interesting character study. And it's just it's got great little bursts of humor and I was very surprised by Run and Jump. I knew nothing about it. I don't know who uh, Steph Green is, although um, the only thing I do know about him is that he was up for an Oscar for short film, um, like maybe like 10 years ago or something. Um, so there's definitely something there and I, I don't know if he's directed a film since, but um, or even before this. So Run and Jump, very lovely, lovely movie and a big surprise. So check that out. Yeah. And then we have, um, now wait, if I tell you that a movie uh, stars Michael Madsen and Eric Roberts, do you think 2000 screens or do you think straight to DVD uh, it stars Eric stri- Roberts and Michael Madsen I'm going to say 5000 screens <laughs> it'll blow on, it out on Labor Day <laughs> it'll blow it out no, because that's when all the screens are available they're going to blow it out Captain America style yeah you anyway it's all about uh, rival gangs and uh, one of them led by, the, by <laughs> Michael Madsen and uh, it's just terrible. It's just a bunch of high-speed chases and guns and, and actors who are in their 60s but trying to pretend like they're in their 30s, uh, just getting off on blowing people away. Beyond the Trophy is the name of it, and I suggest that you skip it. So uh, we, got a, we got a Blu-ray uh, digital HD combo set here from Draft House called Cheap Thrills. Man, I, you know, I, seriously, Draft House picks up some really far out stuff. You're awesome. Uh, Pat Healy is becoming kind of a, a, a big deal in the uh, sort of underground genre world, right? Pat Healy, he's sort of a nerdy guy, but he's got he's got a little like creepy edge to him. You know, there's a there's kind of like a younger ish Robin Williams vibe on the creep factor there. Anyway, Pat Healy previously in uh, in uh, Ty West's or T West, however you pronounce his creepy name, uh, the Innkeepers. Uh, he was really good in that. He was also in uh, David Gordon Green's Undertow and a few other things. Spooner, which was a Drake Doremus movie. So he's got that, that vibe in that particular scene. He stars in this along with Ethan Embry as a couple of down-and-out guys whose lives are sort of disintegrating. They drink too much, uh, hook up with this crazy couple who are celebrating a, um, uh, an anniversary. Uh, or is it a birthday? I think it's a birthday. It's a birthday. And well, birthday is an anniversary. It is the an anniversary. anniversary of your birth. Well, anyway, the, the, the couple is is uh, is David Kochner and uh, Sarah Pax and David Kochner, of course, who plays the 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 one of the guys in uh, Anchorman. Right, he's the guy with the cowboy hat. That Damn dude. right, yeah. David Kechner. Kechner is that how you pronounce his name? Yep, Kechner. Thank you, David Kechner. Anyway, and once they get back, they they start playing this like game of dares, and it just goes off the rails. And normally, a movie that just go, goes off the rails when people have too much to drink and hook up with weird people, it's it, if it isn't a David Lynch film, I'm not interested. It just feels like it's pushing too many buttons gotta tell you this thing actually works it is creepy and it's engaging and it's well acted and uh, even though it goes completely overboard somehow it pulls it off uh, i didn't feel like it uh, it was it was unacceptably weird so i enjoyed that that is called cheap thrills from draft house on blu-ray and then uh if you want to watch basically a remake of my dinner with andre except from the point of view of uh, producer mike rotman uh living things is what that's all about Living Things is basically a, it is exactly what it, what it pretends to be, which is a vegan and meat debate. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? There is no debate. I love meat. So you got this woman who's a yoga instructor, aren't they all? Are there any yoga instructors who just freaking love meat, who are just voracious carnivores? Like, you know, that yoga left me so hungry. Sure. I'm going to go have a Big Mac. There are. Look, you look, you know, if. If you're healthy, you love eating just chicken breast. Are there any vegans? Are breast? there any teamsters like vegan teamsters? Vegan teamsters. Now that so. I would say probably not. Probably not, because truck stops don't exactly have uh, you know the vegan menu over on the side, do they? Can you imagine? Anyway, would, would, so yeah, you, I, I'd like an acai bowl with a with with an alfalfa sprout chaser. Well, so anyway, this woman she's a yoga instructor, and she and her father-in-law are sitting there waiting for her husband to show up. Uh, for dinner, and meanwhile, they they just get into it all over all meat and veganism, and it, it it's a little bit preachy, 
uh, as you would expect, because this thing is like PETA had a role to play in this. But I think uh, it's unintentionally hilarious at the, same t- at the same time. I kept thinking about Mike. And Mike's, very, Mike's not a vegan. He's a vegetarian. Um, well, but, he, 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 he throws the word vegan around a lot. I, yeah, I, I think he eats stuff that is plenty not vegan. Plenty. I think uh, he tries. He, he tries to talk a good game on and that. I have, I have other friends who are vegans. I have every bit of respect for them. Uh, but I got to tell you, this movie really had me laughing. Um, it's unintentionally hilarious, so I, I have to recommend it. And that's uh, Living Things, a uh, vegan meat debate. And then, uh, well, let's see. You, you, have, you have some stuff over there, too. I have nothing. No? You have nothing? I have nothing. You have nothing? Nope. Uh, all right, then I will Look, do... Look, I have this. Oh, you made me talk about this? Yes. So, Saving Grace B. Jones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about both of these at the same time. Saving Grace B. Jones uh, and The Trials of Kate McCall. Now, I, I find both of these to be utterly fascinating, and here's why. One says, inspired by a true story. The other one says, the truth is deadly. Of course, only one of them is allegedly inspired by the truth. But I'm looking at these casts. Now, Michael Bean is a cheese ball. He's a total, total straight-to-video cheese ball. He and his wife, I, I, you know, Brent Simon and I, Brent Simon, a colleague of ours in Laughable, we, we, we send emails back and forth because we're both kind of obsessed with Michael Bean and his wife because they have this production company where they make these crap movies and they go all over the globe and we get these press releases on all their new stuff and it's just so under the radar. But they, they're all just, they, it's like they think that they are the new... It couple. It's hysterical. The, the new canon films? Oh, it's hysterical. It's, it's a riot. But every, anyway, he shows up in stuff that's just junk these days. But look at this. Penelope Ann Miller and Tatum O'Neill are his co-stars in Saving Grace B. Jones. And then look at the cast in The Trials of Kate McCall. Kate Beckinsale and Nick Nolte. Now, ten years ago, Kate Beckinsale and Nick Nolte, maybe not an A-list film, B+, wouldn't you say? Sure. Sure? Nick, Nick Nolte was once the sexiest man alive to Nick People Nolte's magazine. an Oscar nominee. Give me a break. He's an Oscar nominee. I mean, you know, this is this is not. This shouldn't be this kind of a. a you shouldn't be getting this cast and this kind of a thing. I mean, this should be better than this. People anyway, need money. I guess. Anyway, what's really unfortunate about this is that uh, the director of this is Karen Moncrief, and Karen Moncrief at one point was a pretty serious. You know. Um, had like a real career going, you know. I mean, she she had this movie called Blue Car, which was a big deal at uh, at Sundance one year, and uh, you know she she was supposed to be like she did a movie called The Dead Girl in two thousand and six. Like she had a real career going, and then now she's just doing stuff that goes straight to video with casts that deserve better, and it's really really upsetting. Um, anyway, the, basically the idea here is that uh, Kate Beckinsale is this woman who's lost custody of her daughter. And um, you know she's she's her life. She's trying to get her life back on track. And uh, what she does is, is she's an attorney, right? So she takes a case that she probably shouldn't take, and all these threads in her story wind up, you know, intersecting on that. And it's it's an okay film. Uh, James Cromwell and uh, and Kathy Baker also show up in this thing. If you want to extend the the cast, that should be in a better movie, but. Somehow the thing just doesn't come together, and I'm just really sorry. You know, I think part of this is because when you're somebody like Karen Moncrief, you, the, the, the pressures that are on you are enormous, and uh, you wind up writing stuff for a location or for an, a tax credit or something, and you probably shouldn't do. Anyway, Saving Base, Grace B. Jones, uh, rather silly. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see Tatum O'Neill making, making movies again, but there's not a whole lot to recommend this, to be honest. It's just a, it takes place in the 1950s. It's in a small town, uh, and it's uh, kind of one of those small-town period quasi-noir thrillers. Uh, it's okay. Um, I mean, it, you know, the production value for a period film should be better. This is also directed by a woman named Connie Stevens. So it's nice to see movies directed by women at least coming out in the, in the indie straight to video realm but these women should be doing bigger and better projects uh you know it, it's uh for for a, for a thriller on a limited budget set in uh, in the 1950s in the midwest i suppose you could do worse i don't know why somebody found this story and necessarily thought that it was uh it was super movie worthy but you know um penelope ann miller also deserves better material oh uh, it's me yes your um turn. anyway i uh, i skipped through in the blood see you can take the playstation uh, PlayStation controller, and you can watch movies at 1.5 speed. 
That's a good way to watch In the Blood. In the Blood's with uh, Gina Carano and um, the great Luis Guzman. Who doesn't oh, love Luis Guzman? He's awesome. love Luis Guzman. He's the best. Um, anyway, uh, Carano plays a uh, woman on her honeymoon and her uh, husband, played by Cam Gigaday. Giga- sounds, yeah. like, um, sounds like uh, Quagmire from the, uh, from the Family Guy. Gigaday. Uh, he vanishes during their honeymoon, so she's got to grab a gun and put on a tight T-shirt and go find him. And uh, to do I, that, lo- I love tight T-shirt movies. And to do that, she's got to uh, hang out with uh, Luis Guzman and Danny Trejo and all sorts of other uh, really cool actors like that. But this movie's so by the book and so you know what I, you know exactly what, I, what you think it's going to be. You know what I like better than tight T-shirt movies? Uh, what? Tight trousers. Mr. Tight Tight Trousers. That's good. Come on, you know the reference. Tight trousers, Mr. Tight Tight Trousers. Uh, that's um, uh, uh, Star Wars. Richard Lester, The Knack. Give me a break. Oh, I love that movie. I do. I Mr. love that movie. Mr. Tight I, Tight I Trousers. That, uh, yes. You know what? But, well, by the way, when is that coming out on Blu-ray? Oh, I'm sure that's going to be a Criterion thing. I'm no sh- way, I'm really? Sure. I'm sure. It's got to oh. be. It's got to be. Because otherwise, it's, 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 I think it's MGM who has the rights, and that'll take forever. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold out for that. Oh, um, shall we do some music? You mean should we play music? Or should no, we do music? talk about some music titles. Here, I'll, I will. I will go first. I've got all my usual Naxos uh, uh, classical stuff here. I can go through this fairly quickly. An amazing boxed set, huge, willi- just crazy cool box set. If you are a piano fan, I studied piano. I love the piano. My fingers are too short and stubby, and my discipline is too scattered to actually ever have followed through and become anything uh, significant. As you know, as well, otherwise I'd be playing at the Met or something and, and not doing this podcast. But uh, Legato, the world of the piano, is pretty great. Uh, this is four DVDs. And uh, it's a, basically a kind of a documentary slash music series on the, uh, the, 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 how the piano has sort of experienced this amazing newfound renaissance uh, in, the, in the 21st century with this whole young generation of pianists who are just uh, amazing. And uh, it's really, really wonderful. A lot of great music in here. Obviously, you get the Beethoven and you get the, uh, the Chopin and the Gershwin. And, but you also get, you know, Leodov and uh, Metner and Rameau and all these other, like, composers that you may never have heard of before. And it's really, really great stuff. Uh, also, we get some wonderful, wonderful Blu-rays of all kinds of uh, ballets and uh, uh, operas and whatnot. Um, Chaplin is an amazing ballet that I have never heard of. I was familiar with the uh, uh, Anthony, oh, what's his name? Why am I drawing a blank on him? The musical guy who did, he did the Chaplin uh, stage musical. Uh, Anthony um, oh, uh, McIntyre. No, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to find Don't him. stop the recording. I'm not going to stop the recording. He, he, he's a famous musical guy. Oh, uh, Anthony, my gosh. Uh, Anthony Star Wars. Oh, gosh. You, you're you're, you're going to just... Should I, should I stall for time? No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Uh, you know what? I'm this radio silence while Wade figure this out. Uh, no, no. I, I, I'm going to do this. Radio silence. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to find out Anthony. Oh, my gosh. He's like musical, radio musical legend. Musical legend. Anthony Minghella. No, anyway. I'll, uh, I will figure it out. I will figure it out. Anyway, this is this is a, a ballet, and uh, it's Anthony Rapp. No, 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 Anthony, no. Anthony uh, Warlow. No, who, who did the, he did like the music for uh, Anthony, for Scrooge for Scrooge. Anthony Perkins. No, Scrooge. Look up Scrooge. You mean the film Scrooge? The film Scrooge. Scrooge. Not Scrooge. Anthony Newley. Anthony Newley. Thank you. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Anthony Newley, this amazing stage production of Chaplin, which was wonderful, which I saw at the uh, Dorothy Chandler Pavilion years yes. ago. Oh, Anthony Newley. Man, why could I not pull his name up? That is so depressing. Uh, anyway. You should be proud. Uh, no, this is a wonderful ballet, uh, all inspired by Chaplin. It's very kind of avant-garde, um, but it's, it's pretty sharp. And, uh, you know, I'm not normally overly a ballet guy, uh, but that was pretty great. Oh, also, there's Madama Butterfly, which is, of course, Madame Butterfly, uh, the Puccini, which is, uh, this one is conducted by Alexander Joel uh, with the chorus of the Staatsoper Hamburg and the uh, Hamburg Philharmonic. That's on Blu-ray. Fantastic sound. I don't know if it's any better than any other production of, of Madame Butterfly. I'm not familiar enough with them all, but uh, again, You're not? great sound. You always wind and up knowing musical Richard, stuff. Yes. Richard Strauss's Salome. Oh, you know, my God. Salome, of course, the... the uh, Thank you. Uh, this is the uh, uh, orchestra of the, uh, from Bologna, the Teatro Comunale di Bologna, conducted by Nicola Luciotti. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty sharp, too, if you like that kind of thing. Uh, we got Don Quixote, which is a, uh, a production uh, with the Royal Ballet for the, at the uh, Royal Opera House. Uh, always interesting. I didn't realize that uh, this even existed. I was always familiar. I always thought Don Quixote was just, you know, existed in book form and then uh, 
obviously, you know, uh, Man of La Mancha and then the, so Terry, the, so the Terry Gilliam movie. There was an actual Don Quixote. No, no. This is like a like a like an opera deal. Opera. You know what they say about opera? I mean, it's it's a it's a ballet, but it's at the opera house. You know what they say about opera? You're confusing me. You know, you know what Larry Miller says about opera? What? You can't get sleep like that at home. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Anyway, so a ballet at the opera house, and then Puccini's Turandot, uh, or Turandot, which is also the uh, Royal Opera Chorus and the orchestra of the Royal Opera House, at the with the Royal Opera. Uh, I still prefer the Zhang Yimou version of this, which has never been released on Blu-ray, but uh, this is good. You know, it, it's certainly passable. Porgy and Bess, the, uh, the Gershwin masterpiece. This is all from the San Francisco Opera, and uh, absolutely wonderful, fantastic cast. People I'm not familiar with, but you know what? The voices are amazing, the production is amazing, the direction is wonderful. And it breezes by in two and a half hours. Uh, you, it, it just one of the great all-time, you know, Gershwin masterpieces. Uh, this is uh, let's see here, uh, Wagner. If you're a Wagner fan, let me move on to a couple of these other things real quickly. Oh, I got to move through this super fast. Okay, here we go. Uh, Richard Strauss, Capriccio or Capriccio. Uh, again, something I'm utterly unfamiliar with, but uh, I guess you know. Why not? Uh, Richard Strauss did a ton of operas, and they don't particularly fly with me, but, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, the uh, Teatro alla Scala. This is Richard Wagner's uh, Damerung from the, uh, the Nibelungen Ring. Always big and bombastic, and more about the art direction than about anything else. From Opus Arte, uh, David Tennant in uh, an amazing performance in uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company's Richard II, which is one of the lesser performed uh, Shakespeare plays. Uh, David Tennant plays Richard II um, and, and nails this thing. Everybody else here, I would say, it's interesting to watch because a lot of these people are going to be movie actors very, very soon. They're not people I've ever seen before, but you look at them and you go, I could put that guy in a movie, and that guy should be in a movie, and every single one of these people should have a role in the next Thor movie. And they really should. Emma Hamilton as the Queen is fantastic. Uh, anyway, so Richard II, is, uh, it's, it's fairly sparse, but it's really compelling. And uh, makes me wonder why this is not a more popular play than it actually is. So uh, that's pretty sharp. And then uh, Mussorgsky's Boris Gudinov. Mussorgsky is one of those, uh, if, you, if you like um, Beethoven, if you like Bruckner, you'll love Mussorgsky. Definitely in the same... And Tchaikovsky, definitely in the same kind of a vein. Uh, Boris Gudinov uh, and Mussorgsky, you know, was kind of roughly from the same period. Anyway, uh, Boris Gudinov, this is given a whole kind of a, a, a postmodern um, political flavor. And uh, this is from the Bayerische Staatsoper in, uh, in, uh, Berlin, in um, Berlin. And uh, pretty intense. Let's see what else. We've got Bruckner Symphony Number no. 8. Uh, which is is big and florid and uh, a wonderful, uh, wonderful. So many of our listeners are going to go buy this. They should. It's Blu-ray. It's oh. Blu-ray of Bruckner Symphony Number no. Eight. It's great audio. It's fantastic. The audio Blu-ray is. It doesn't really. You have to watch these concerts on Blu-ray to really get the uh, get a sense of you know all this stuff. Anyway, and then lastly, uh, we've got Paz Through the Labyrinth. The composer uh, Christoph Penderecki, one of David Lynch's favorites, by the way. I would add, uh, Penderecki is a fantastic composer. Great. Compo- what he's a pederast. Polish composer, fantastic Polish composer. And then Mahler's uh, Fifth Symphony with the Gewandhaus Orchestra Leipzig from Leipzig, Germany. The Gewandhaus Orchestra. Blue Organ Why do Leipzig. we talk about these? No one cares. Anyway, it's all on Blu-ray. It's good classical That's music good. and opera and ballet, and I'm done with it. That's so good. carry on. Right, now, now talk about music that people actually care about. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Jesus. All right, on Blu-ray, we have Pink Floyd mm. and Sid Barrett's story. Now, Sid Barrett was with the, uh, one of the founding members of Pink Floyd, one of my favorite bands in the whole wide world. Yep. But, uh, of course, Sid Barrett was a, huge, uh, was a huge psychedelic drug user and lover and imbiber of, and he was big into LSD. There was actually, you know what, there's actually, I don't know that this exists on YouTube anywhere, but there's a very famous interview of, where Sid Barrett is interviewed on Pat Boone's show, and Sid Barrett says, Nothing. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> really? Nothing. That's awesome. And then they tried to explain it away the next day. One of the other band members, his quote was like, uh, Sid's lips didn't feel like moving today. <laughs> so anyway, so Sid was, uh, he was really instrumental during their psychedelic years, um, uh, but he's a genius. Anyway, um, this Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett story is all about, uh, let's just say, Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett. 
So it's uh, good stuff. Lots of good um, archival footage <laughs> and old interview footage and old musical footage. So it's good Sid's stuff. lips didn't feel like so it was a, The quote was something like that. Anyway, um, I enjoyed, it was a little perfunctory. Um, wasn't a very surprising documentary, but I did enjoy Rush Beyond the Lighted Stage. Uh, the guys who gave you that now give you Super Duper Alice Cooper, which is all about, obviously, Alice Cooper, the uh, preacher's son who got dressed up in crazy makeup and, uh, you know, and had all sorts of crazy, cutting-edge, you know, almost goth-inspired rock. I was never a huge Alice Cooper fan, but, um, you know, it's a good documentary. Uh, Elton John, John Lydon, Iggy Pop, um, you know, all talked about, covered in Super Duper Alice Sweet. Cooper. If you love Alice Cooper, you will love Super Duper Alice Cooper. Also... Um, a Celebration of Blues and Soul is highly recommended. In, uh, in 1989, George Bush, the, the, the one I disliked less than the second George Bush, mm-hmm. the son, uh, he had an awesome inauguration concert. His inauguration concert. I'm glad concert, you know that. <laughs> his, I do. His inauguration concert, which is chronicled on this DVD mm-hmm. called a Celebration of Blues and Soul, included um, uh, Percy Sledge, Dr. John. Bo Diddley, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughan, Delbert McClinton, all sorts of amazing, amazing blues and soul artists at the inauguration concert. So this is totally awesomely cool. And uh, Billy Preston was there too, Sam Moore. So anyway, if you love really cool blues and soul music and you love George Bush. You know, what I, do, you know what I do on inauguration day? Soul. Yes. You know what I do on inauguration day? You, uh, I eat Chinese food. Get drunk. Do you get drunk, to be honest? No. Okay, uh, one last uh, music Blu-ray. We have Suzanne Vega live, Solitude Standing. I like Suzanne Vega. I remember I actually met her. She was a guest on a talk show I produced. Uh, this is back during her 99.9 degrees Fahrenheit days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was recorded in Rome in 2003, and uh, it's good. Uh, of course, she plays Luca. My name is Luca. I live on the second floor. <laughs> That's the only song of hers I know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that others. was on that album, 99.9 I, Degrees I, I don't, Fahrenheit, I know. which is like her most popular album. But it's the, oh, that's the only song of hers I think I, I would ever recognize. But there's a lot of good songs on this also. So, um, Suzanne Vega Live, the audio's pretty good, video pretty good. This is 2003, so it's not like super duper, like, you know, high def 7.1 audio city like it would be today if it was recorded, mm-hmm. but still, it's good stuff. I like Suzanne Vega. She's a, she's a survivor. All right. A, a pop rock folk survivor. Well, with that, we are done. So uh, we will be back next year with more. Uh, next year, <laughs> next week. Boy, it'd be great if we're back next year. It'd be like, woo, 2015, here we come. How dare you? Uh, Our listeners would not like that. <laughs> be back next, back next week with uh, more cool stuff. Until then, Wade's mouth is closed. Oh, man, I'll tell you. <laughs>